The Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, chapter 18. And taking the twelve, Jesus said to them, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. For he will be delivered over to the Gentiles, and will be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon. And after flogging him, they will kill him, and on the third day he will rise. But they understood none of these things. This saying was hidden from them, and they did not grasp what was said. As he drew near to Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. And hearing a crowd going by, he inquired what this meant. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And he cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And those who were in front rebuked him telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and commanded him to be brought to him. And when he came near, he asked him, What do you want me to do for you? He said, Lord, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, Recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight And followed him, glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. You have heard it said that the happiest place on earth is. Disneyland Park in Anaheim, California. But I say to you that Disneyland Park in Anaheim, California is the most religious place on earth. And as evidence for this claim, I submit the following exhibit. Few places will implore you as frequently or as fervently to believe. Indeed, every night of the year after the nighttime spectacular a narrator of some kind will implore everyone who has ears to hear to believe in magic. And what, after all, is religious faith in the minds of many except just that, belief in magic? In fact, long before Walt Disney turned an orange grove into an entertainment empire, the American journalist Henry Mencken wrote that faith may be briefly defined as the illogical belief in the occurrence of the improbable. So is that what happened in today's gospel from Luke chapter 18? Did Jesus reward a blind man for his illogical belief in the improbable? And if so, will Jesus reward us similarly for our own illogical and improbable leaps into darkness? These are sensible questions that come to mind anytime we encounter biblical texts that talk about faith. Because if it is really the case, as Jesus says, that faith can make someone well, 
then we'll want to know what it means to have faith and what it means to be well. And thankfully, this account from Luke chapter 18 helps us to understand both. Now, the scene here was this. A beggar had taken up his daily position on the side of the road to ask for alms. And we hear that a larger-than-normal commotion came by, which got this man's attention. So he inquired of the crowd around him, the crowd that was in front of him, who was passing by. Jesus of Nazareth is passing by, came the reply. And on this news, he began to shout this, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Imagine this scene from the point of view of Jesus. You're in the middle of this road. There's a big crowd around you. And more likely than not, it seems, a lot of the folks that were there may have just been there to catch a glimpse of the regional celebrity. If this were happening today, I imagine everyone would have the camera app on their phone open and they'd be trying to take a shaky video or a selfie with Jesus in the background. And so in this crowd of people, many of whom were seeking spectacle, Jesus hears this voice of faith ringing out. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Now, I have no doubt that this blind beggar had asked many passers-by over the years for mercy. But I'm quite confident he did not make it a habit to call random people by messianic titles. Son of David. I also have no doubt this blind beggar had asked many passers-by over the years for money. But I think it's reasonable to assume he didn't make it a habit to ask random people to perform for him miracles. And yet, here it is, this cry of faith, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. And so it seems that the faith of this blind man was not entirely Blind. It seems that he had heard the reports. He had heard the word about all of the things Jesus had surely said and done in other places and at other times. And so he was confident that the same Jesus who was able to perform such things in his mercy and power and grace for other people at other places was surely able to do the same for him if he so chose. And so this man was connecting the words and works of Jesus and the report of them to confidence. And this can be a useful corrective for what is often a, a crooked understanding of faith. Many people will read an account like this and they will, they will think of faith as a kind of moral virtue that God likes to see and therefore God likes to reward. And so in this view, Jesus was really impressed with the goodness of this man and his faith, and so he rewarded him in return. Others will think of faith almost like kind of a wild wishful thinking that God likes to see, maybe because it's cute or something, and, and therefore he likes to reward it. And so in this view, the man impressed Jesus with the sheer impossible audacity of his request. And so Jesus rewarded him. 
But this text, how Jesus looked at him, healed him, and actually connected his healing to faith, underscores our Lutheran conviction of what faith is. It's well-founded trust that the words and the works of Jesus really do corroborate his claims and prove his promises, and therefore he is worthy of our personal confidence in him for every hope in life and death. And note this well, this gift of faith, this confident trust in Jesus comes to you the same way it came to the blind man. It comes to you through the words and works of Christ, specifically the message about it, the reports, the words that we hear and read in the scriptures of what he has said and done. To be a Christian, then, is not to believe in magic. It is to put our trust and our confidence in the promise of God's grace on account of Christ and announced in the gospel. But how does such faith make us well? Can faith really do for us what it did for this blind beggar in Luke chapter 18? And again, we find meaningful answers right here in the account. Imagine now the scene from the beggar's point of view. You've been called up from your spot on the side of the road behind the crowd, and now this great Jesus of Nazareth, about whom you've heard so much, is standing face to face with you. And in this scene, the creator of the stars of night the one who knits together every fearfully and wonderfully made image-bearing human being is standing across from one of his own and asking him this most marvelous question, what do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do for you? And the blind man of faith did not answer the way people answer when they're expecting magic. He didn't do what people do when they rub the lamp and the genie comes out and they wish for power or might or the best and cleverest of all wishes, which is, of course, to wish for more wishes. He does no such thing. In fact, notice that he doesn't scale down his request. He scales it up to match the dignity of his God-given humanity and the glory of the evident deity of Christ. He's asking something for the one asking the asking and from the one doing the doing. He wasn't asking for a favor. He was asking for everything. His request is, Lord, make me whole. Restore me, Lord, to completeness. Lord, take what is broken and my source of pain and make it whole again. Lord, let me recover my sight. And Jesus' answer is this remarkable mirror of his request. Boom, recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. Tell me, what do you want Jesus to do for you? 
And is your answer scaled down or is it scaled up to the dignity of what God has made you to be in him and the glory of what he reveals in his son, Jesus Christ, for you? This is a difficult but nuanced and important topic because on the one hand, it is absolutely true that it's good and right for us to bring all of our needs and requests to our Heavenly Father, no matter how seemingly small or insignificant they may be. There is no care of yours that your God does not want to hear of. But on the other hand, mature Christian wisdom recognizes there are certain goods we miss out on if we don't scale our requests up, if we don't ask in a way and in categories and levels that we might not initially consider. So yes, we ask God for our daily bread. He teaches us to do so. But we also pray that God give us a deep consciousness that he is the reason we exist in the first place. In him we move and live and have our being. We ask God, yes, to relieve us from pain. But we also pray that God would enlighten us with the knowledge that in him no pain can ever conquer us. We ask God for family and friendship and companionship, yes. But we also pray that God would be for us the one who would give us the comfort of knowing that no matter how alone we are in this life, we are never truly alone in him. Yes, we ask God to bless us in this life. And at the same time, we recognize that no matter how blessed this life may be, death cuts it short. And so we look to God and ask him to deliver us even from death so that life is not short in the final accounting of it all. We're asking him, in other words, to make us well in the most complete sense of the word, scaling it up to say, Lord, make me whole, make me pure, make me righteous, make me complete. And then we ask him to shape our thinking and our doing even now in the knowledge that he can and does answer even those greatest possible requests from us. And this is why accounts like this from Luke chapter 18 are so important for us, because here Jesus has revealed to us how faith in him makes a person well. By restoring sight to the blind, Jesus is pulling back the curtain, so to speak, and he's letting you and me see what it looks like when he answers all people who cry out to him in faith, you will receive exactly what the blind man received. You will be made whole. The fallen nature of yours that is always at odds with you will be restored. Your broken body that is so often the cause of such affliction will be made new. Your 
flawed feelings and afflicting thoughts that keep you up at night and confuse you as you make your way through life will be rightly ordered in righteousness. Your life that is far shorter than God ever intended it to be will be made everlasting. You will be made whole. And note this well, this will happen to you the same way it happened to the blind beggar. The time will come when the Lord Jesus himself, with the same voice, will command you to come forth, but not from a crowd of onlookers, but from the teeming masses lying six feet under. And you in your own flesh, with your own eyes, will see him and hear him and touch him, and he will ask you the same question, the same marvelous question. What do you want me to do for you? And before you can even groan out your aching answer in a flash and in the twinkling of an eye, Christ will act. On him you can count. On him you can trust. In him you can put your faith. And such faith lays hold of such a mighty hero, it really can tear heaven and earth asunder. There's no doubt in my mind that mountains really will move when every corpse rises, once feeble, and now co-ruling and co-heirs with Christ. When faith flings every grave open, the mountains and the hills will shake and fall apart. The earth itself will tremble under the weight of so much joy, of so many people, made whole for good and finally and in Christ. And as surely as the Lord lives, risen and resurrected and glorified, this will happen, even if your faith may seem feeble and your feeling to the contrary strong. Amen. Please stand. Now the peace of God, which passes all understanding, guard and keep your hearts and minds through faith in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen.